0: Okay, so in Great Jewish Treasures, on page 200, we have a Seder plate that was in the possession and it was actually commissioned by Rav Muttel Chernobler, which is, his real name was Mardukhai Chworsky of Chernobyl. And if you could see the pictures here, it's a very elaborate Seder plate. It has a lot of etchings. If you look carefully, you would see that there's many different... Um, uh, different shuls or different batim medrash uh, from different Hasidic branches, all stemming from Chernobyl. Um, so, for example, uh, there was his, his sons. The, the R'matol Chernobler was a, a great Hasidic rebbe, and he had many, many sons. And each of the sons um, had their own, started their own uh, unique. Chasidas, uh, uh, and all of these are signified by the different uh, Bate Medrash that are on the side of the uh, of the Seder plate. Um, he had eight sons and three daughters, and each of his sons became a Rebbe who spread chasidus throughout Russia, and guess where else? Ukraine, right? Ripped from the headline. So this was a very, very... Uh, how do we know that... Chernobyl is in Ukraine, because the Russians, on like the first week of their of their invasion against uh, Ukraine, they took over Chernobyl. Why is Chernobyl such a famous city in Ukraine? Exploding. Very good. Back in the, uh, I don't know when that was, that was in, um, I it was this? Um, it was in, uh, when I was a kid growing up, there was a terrible, 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 um, like, catastrophe in Chernobyl, uh, they had... Um, there was, like, a, a leak. It was a nuclear reactor, and the, the nuclear stuff started leaking, and many, many people all around, like, in, you know, hundreds of miles around, were very badly affected. Like, they had deformities, and there was a, It was, like, a very... You know, it was, it was, like, a really... It was a nuclear disaster, so Chernobyl became a city to, that, to the world, was known as a uh, a very bad city. But from Jewish history perspective, going back to the seventeen eighteen hundreds, it was one of the most prominent cities of Hasidus. Um, so people on the street all know Chernobyl because of the disaster. But if you're into Hasidus, you would know Chernobyl as the the home of Reb Menachem Nochem, of Chernobyl, also known as the Magid of Chernobyl. Now, the Magid or the Rebbe of the Chernobyl dynasty, he used to accept what, uh, what coins, silver coins from his chassidun. Uh, those silver coins is something that's customary to give to a Rebbe when you go and visit him. Uh, like it's called uh, pejainis, which means redemptions. Uh, meaning if you go, let's say, to a Hasidash Rebbe and you want him to daven for, you know, for you to have a, a child or for somebody sick to be better or whatever it is that you need, you go and you give him a silver coin. And you tell him who you need uh, a redemption for, meaning somebody that needs that has a problem that needs to be redeemed from that problem. So you give him a silver coin and he took all of those silver coins, like thousands of silver coins, and he had them. Melted down, and he made this seder plate out of them. Who did he use to commission? Who did he commission to make this magnificent seder plate? Um, it was the czar's personal silversmith. The czar of Russia had a silversmith of his own that you know would make very ornate, beautiful items for him. So he commissioned the czar's um, the czar silversmith himself. To make this, it's a very heavy piece. It weighs forty pounds. Forty pounds, very heavy piece of silver. Um, and it has uh, on its base, it has animals used for the carbon pesach. There are uh, shelves, like all seder plates have, and then um, they have different bowls for each of the things on the top of the seder plate that you put, you know, the carpas, the chazeret, etc., in engraved around the circumference of the Karar, the eight base medrashas of his each of his illustrious sons. And then deer appear to jump out of either side of the plate, providing a sense of swiftness, swiftness and excitement to perform the mitzvahs of the night. And atop its many tiers is perched a jewel-studded crown. So it's really a magnificent piece. Now, what's really magnificent is that it survived, the, it survived the Holocaust, this Seder plate. How did it survive the Holocaust? You'd think that, you know, you're getting out with your life. How do you bring out such a 40-pound Seder plate? It's a little difficult. So the last generations of Chorskis to use this plate before the war was Grand Rabbi Mordechai Yisrael Chorsky of Kotin. Today, Kotin is part of Ukraine, but before the war, it was between the Russian-Romanian border. Before the Nazis entered the city of Kotin in 1941, Rav Israel Yisrael presciently buried his family heirlooms in the yard of the local rabbi. Rav Israel Yisrael was murdered at the site in a mass grave outside the city limits, the only surviving son, Rabbi Yaakov Yesev, was, was 19 when he, along with his three sisters, returned to his hometown after surviving the war in various camps. They knew that their father had buried uh, this heirloom along with a few other heirlooms in the, in the backyard of the local rabbi's house, and uh, Kotin was in complete ruin, but they managed to locate on the land on which the rabbi's home formerly stood. And with great effort, they succeeded in digging up their buried legacy, including this kara. Smuggling these artifacts out of Europe was especially challenging. They traveled in the dark of night and, when detained, bribed the officers with some of the smaller treasured pieces, such as an extraordinary kiddush cup, meaning they, they unearthed a lot of things, they, a lot of smaller things, like the kiddush cup, and when they were, when they were like when the uh, Ukrainian army was like, what are you doing? What are you schlepping over here? So they would take like the one of the smaller pieces, give it to the officer and then the officer would be appeased and then they could go a little further. Miraculously, one of the sisters successfully transported the Seder plate to Uruguay. In 1969, Rabbi Yasef traveled from New York to Uruguay to bring the Kara to the United States. Rabbi Yaakov Yisif chose not to be a Hasidic rabbi, but instead became rabbi of a shul in the Bronx, New York. He bequeathed the seder plate to his son, my dear friend. That's me, my dear friend Rabbi Yitzchak Mayor Chorsky, who uses it each Pesach. He actually lives in the neighborhood. Um, do you know Yitzchorsky? No. He uh, he lives in the neighborhood. He lives on the other side of Main Street. And he's a wonderful person. He has this in his house. This seder plate is in his house, about you know a three minute drive from here, which is incredible, right? He keeps it. It's he was he's been offered millions of dollars for the seder plate. It's very, very, extremely valuable. A lot of history, and uh, every um, every matzai Pesach, meaning after Pesach is over, there is a uh, in. Anyone hear of uh, the city of Square, Like square town up in, near Muncie? So it's a very big Hasidic uh, group called sect. Hasidus called Square. And the square Rebbe is related to... Uh, he's also a descendant of the Chernobyl Magid. So at his tish on... You know, when he makes this elaborate uh, suddot, his table on Matsai Pesach, so my friend brings... This kara, this beautiful kara, uh, with him to the to the thing, and it sits on the Rebbe's table in front of like tens of thousands of chassidim every uh, every matzai pesach. So it's still like part of part of pesach, and it serves as a centerpiece of his royal table. And it's a, it's an amazing. I don't know if you would if you'd be interested in seeing it in person. Maybe we can make a field trip one day and uh, I'll ask him if he, I'm sure he'd be happy to show it. He loves showing these things and uh, he keeps it like in a, in a safe in his house or in a, a very a locked closet or something. And uh, he really opens it up very rarely, but if you're interested, maybe one week we could, we could take a trip uh, to his house and uh, maybe he'll show it to us uh, if we're lucky. Okay, that's, that's a piece that, uh, that's a beautiful piece. What was the name of the Rob the, rab, the rab in Chernobyl? The yeah, the, the maggot of Chernobyl. His name was his name was Rev um, Mardechai Menachem His name was Rev Mardechai Chworsky. He was the son of Rev Menachem Nachem of Chworsky of Chernobyl. So he was the second Rebbe of the Chernobyl Hasidic dynasty. Um, and he was the one that commissioned this beautiful. Kara to be built, and to his be, son to was be Yosef. Was no, so that? that's that's not his son. That was a, um, that was but a. His son and the three daughters that survived. What was the name of the son that was
1: holding
0: it? Yeah. So so his. So this. My friend's name is Yitzchorsky. His father was Reb Yaakov Yasef okay. and he was a Rub in the Bronx. Now it's interesting because. Um. Years ago, I was honored at an Arachayim dinner, like going back like 20 years and um, maybe last maybe 15 years. And my uncle, who was a Rob in the Bronx, came, you know, as one of the guests at that dinner. And the, the other honoree was Yitzchworski who owns this uh, Kara. And Yitzchworski you know, saw my uncle... Yitzchorsky's father was a rub in the Bronx when my uncle was also a Rav in the Bronx. They were very close friends. They did a lot of things together in the Rabbanas. So it was decades since Yitzchorsky, my friend, saw my uncle, and it was very meaningful for him because he was also a guest of honor at that dinner, and he felt like, in a way, his father almost was at the dinner because he saw my, my uncle, who was like a close friend of his father. Would His father had died many, many years earlier, but it was a very uh, moving type of... uh of experience. This is, by the way, um, this was the uh, the Rebbe who who owned the seder plate during the Holocaust. He was the one that buried the plate under the ground, and then he was killed by the Nazis. And this is his son who was, who became the Rav in the Bronx. And you know, you know, they were t- they took a picture together the, around the seder plate. And then eventually, in a miraculous way, the seder plate survived the Holocaust, buried underneath the ground. And um, you know that's the way it was. It's interesting, you know, like in the war that that's taking place right now between Russia and Ukraine. So I think everybody is rooting for Ukraine. Am I wrong? I mean, Ukrainians, if you're following this, what's going on over there at all, uh, Ukraine is like a much Weaker country than Russia. Russia is the aggressor by all by all accounts. They, he didn't have to come in. No one provoked him. He just had a Mishagas Putin out of Russia that he wants to take over Ukraine. He they're too Westernized for him or whatever. He doesn't. Anyway, he just decided that he's going to bomb it. He's literally destroying a whole country. He's sending you know millions of people uh, refugees out of the country to other countries because they don't want to get killed. Um, and of of course there's a big problem for the Jews that are there and that's why we made this whole appeal in Yeshiva Baruch Hashem. Many of you participated and Baruch Hashem were doing very well with that, Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. But most people are, most Jews even, I I know myself, you're you're rooting for Ukraine because Ukraine is the underdog. They were the ones that were attacked and um, you you sort of feel bad for them and, and for good reason, right? There are people that, you know, it's and and they have a Jewish president, this guy Zelensky, who became like a now a big hero around the world for his bravery and his courage and he's like not backing down and Russia thought that he would right away like surrender and the country would go easily into Russia's uh hands but it didn't happen that way. So people like the story, you know, it's a nice story that it's like, you know, the underdog is really bringing the fight to the to the big enemy, the David and Goliath scene and, you know, but it's interesting that if you know a lot, a little bit about the history of Ukraine, in terms of uh, its ex- the Jews' experience in Ukraine over the centuries, it was a horrible place for Jews to live. The Ukrainian non-Jews were very, very uh, uh, anti-Semitic. Not, I'm sure, not everybody, but a lot of them were. They they said that they were more barbaric to the Jews. In their country than the Nazis were. Meaning, when the Nazis came to power, the Ukrainians were. They, they sit here, take them. Yeah. Not only that, but they themselves like murdered them in cold blood. And you know, there's there's a lot of, of and it's not just by the Holocaust. There's already going back to the Khamnitsky, uh Crusades, the massacre that took place in the 1600s, where thousands and thousands of Jews were killed. Uh, at the hands of the Ga'im, These were all Ukrainian Ga'im that were killing the Jews. So, you know, so somebody was saying to me that, you know, you shouldn't have so much Rachmanis on... Not, this is nothing to do with the Jews. It's just like... But the, Ukrainian, the, the Ukrainians almost like... Not that they have a coming to them. Obviously, we have to have pity and compassion on people, on everybody, even if their grandparents were, you know, were, were anti-Semitic or maybe, you know, their parents or maybe they... Uh, it's still very, very hard for us to look at pictures of, you know, little babies and, you know, people. But in terms of just, if you take the Jews out of, let's say we could get every last Jew out of Ukraine, it sort of is a war that you shouldn't really even be taking sides on because, you know, because Ukrainians, in terms of our experiences with them, were not wonderful, you know, people that, that the press is making them out to be today. They might be fighting valiantly for their country, but you see, like, here what happened, like, the, in Ukraine, um, you know, the, the Nazis came in, but the Ukrainian Ga'im themselves were, uh, were very vicious to the Jews, and uh, it's just something to bear in mind that, you know, we, we shouldn't have, we should have Rahmanis on the Jews in Ukraine, but not necessarily on the country of Ukraine. The country of Ukraine was very not hospitable to Jews for many, many hundreds of years. Yeah, was this like a like a comparison you were trying to bring for uh Zephyr Amalek, like Parsha's uh Zeph or Zeph or Zeph or you were trying to say? Is this why? I mean, yeah, I, I, on Shabbos, I spoke actually, and I mentioned that Amalek, we don't know who Amalek is. We think it's Germans and Nazis or whatever, but the Sarem say that Amalek is is the Roshitevis of Apostlagen Parish Varatius that says Rak, ra Kal Hayim. Rak is a at the end of that letter is a kuf. Ra at the end of that letter is an Ayin. Kal is the last letter is a lamed, and yaim is a mem. And that if you if you jumble those four letters, it spells that Amalek, which means that Amalek is the root of evil. Rak rak is only bad all day. Meaning anytime that you find evil in the world, um, <coughs> there's that that gives an... That's like a manifestation of a So if you find, let's say, that what's going on today in the world, you find Putin, right, who's trying to destroy, you know, millions of lives or or, or alter their life. Uh, that's that might be a, a vestige of a So um, yeah, so we have to remember all of that. All when we're when we're thinking about a we have to try to commit ourselves to having a, uh, a certain, a certain um, vigilance against uh, having compassion against people that are engaged in evil. And that's, in this case, the Russians, but it might also be equally, if not more even, the Ukrainians. Uh, and we have to have a lot of compassion on the Jews there, but at the same time, we, we are allowed to uh, not be as... Uh, we should not be... As compassion about the country of Ukraine, and you know, Russia also has a lot of bad that it did to Jews during the communism. They didn't allow them. We spoke about it last week with the Rivnitzer, They didn't allow you to uh, to daven, to get a bris, to do a lot of things. But uh, and they also have you know their Nakama that's going to be coming their way. You know when Mashiach comes. But but Ukraine is also you know, should be held accountable for a lot of the atrocities that it did. Okay, here's another interesting piece. So the Ramban, the Ramban is one of the most famous commentators on Chumash. There's Rashi, is the most famous, right? He's known as like the father of all commentators. I would say second to Rashi in terms of the major Mepharshim on Chumash is the Ramban, who is the Ramban? Ramban is not a name. Ramban is a, it's a, it's a Russian Tavis. It stands for Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachman. Moshe, the son of Nachman. He lived from 1194 to 1270. So that puts him in the time of the Rishinim. So the early uh, rabbis before, you know, the more recent era of the Achrainim, the Rishinim, like anyone know, who are other examples of Rishinim? Rambam, good. The Rosh, the excellent. Um, the Rashi is a is a is a uh, the Balitaisus, um, you know the Ritva, the Rashba, the Rimigash, a lot of great Rishinim. So the Ramban was one of the greatest of all. He was born in a city called Gerona in Spain, and he was uh, he wrote many classical works on the Torah, including his commentary on the Torah. And also, there's a very famous letter that the Ramban wrote called the Garis Ramban. You've, you've learned that letter? Yes, yes. Okay, good. So that's a, it's a very uh, well-known letter. It has a lot of musr that the Ramban wrote to his son. His son's name was Nachman. He named him after his father. His father, he was Ramesha Ben-Nachman. He had a son, Nachman. And we have a letter that he wrote to his son in which he tells him... About being humble and about being, uh, you know, and uh, and doing the right thing and, and learning and all like the things that he's supposed to be doing, and that is in the Geras Ramban Arts Girl has a very good thin volume called "A Letter for the Ages," uh, which uh, speaks about this uh, this classical letter. So interestingly, at the age of seventy-two, he decided to settle in Eretz Yisrael. So he moved to Akko, and then he went from there to Yerushalayim in Elul. And then when he came to the city of Yerushalayim, you know, today Yerushalayim is Baruch Hashem bursting at the seams, and you go, you see cranes, building skyscrapers all over Yerushalayim. He went there, and the city was desolate. It's hard to imagine, right? Yerushalayim, you'd think there would be, like, so many people that would want to always live there, but there was. When the Ramban came... He said there was like practically no one there, um, and then he, uh, he returned to Aco, where he died at the age of 76. What's fascinating is that in 1972, which isn't so long ago, 72 to 82, 92 to 02 to 22, it's 40 years ago, right? So 40, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 50 years ago. 50 years ago. So 50 years ago, um, in a field several hundred meters east of a certain Tel Kison near Ako, a remarkable discovery was made. It was a seal belonging to the Ramban himself. What are the chances of that? Like you have thousands and thousands of people living in the time of the Ramban in that area, and then since then probably millions, and they unearthed a seal that was possibly the Ramban seal. It says on the seal itself, um, Moshe, it says, Moshe, son of Nachman, Gerona, be strong. This is a picture of the, uh, of the seal. Okay, so This is the actual metal seal. And when you, you, know, you took the seal and you put it into wax, this is how it would look. And it says on it, Moshe, Ben Rav Nachman Gerona Chazak It's amazing, right, that you found the Ramban seal, there must have been you know, it could have been so they're not sure if it's for sure I mean, it seems it's Meisha, the son of Nachman from Gerona, which is Spain Chazak, it's it's probably the Ramban seal um, but it's just an amazing, amazing discovery that they made to find the Ramban seal does this Look familiar at all? Did you ever see a similar image? I don't know where, but I've seen this image before, yeah. Okay, so, well, first of all, it's on the cover of my book. Maybe you saw it there, but no. But it, on the cover of the art Ramban, if you take an art scroll Ramban off the shelf, the cover design is this seal, like, embossed in the cover. So I don't know if that's where you saw it, but if you check it, you go to the base matters. it's like, you'll see, it's, this, is, this is where it is. Um we don't interesting, we don't have any letters bearing this mark, which is a question on it, because normally if this was his seal, so and we have some letters from him, you would see that some of the letters have have this seal on it to make sure that it's people know that it's really him, but we don't have that. So it's not clear whether he, it might be his and he never used it. That's also possible a possibility, but we don't know. And um so that is a very interesting discovery that was made. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. We'll go to Mincha now. But thank you so much for coming. And this is found in Israel or in Spain? Well what, what? This was found in Ertiso. Yeah, yeah, it's found near Akko. Uh, near, in a Moshev near Akko. So it's a crazy discovery. It's like probably one of the greatest uh, Judaica discoveries of all time. To find the Ramban Yep. But part of the reason why we went to Ernst